they can hear you all right knuckles what a week what a fucking week man um both good and bad this week why well no, we're gonna talk no, about gonna it on the show that. right that's what we do um, this is supposed to be the lively pre-show banter it is yeah i'm so sorry this isn't lively <laughs> we uh i don't feel lively let me just say that i am so beat up right now like, yeah, man, it's been, it, it's, this week has been like, the days don't end. I've been up and down and all around. And God forbid. I got some very good news this week yeah. and I got some, well, yeah, some other stuff. It's all very exciting and we better get to it. Let's do it because of, you know, work and phone calls and shit. Right. Here we go. And we're back. Welcome to Recovery in the Middle Ages, the podcast about two middle-aged suburban dads in their pursuit of life, love and recovery. I'm Nat X. Uh, I'm Mike or Mark, depending on where you've encountered me recently. You didn't have to do that. Well, I just okay. want to remind them that I'm the same person, just split in two. And boy, do we have a show for you today on RMA. The back to school train has left the station and predictably chaos ensues. And Aaron Moore joins us for another edition of Get Smart with Aaron Moore as we discuss sponsorship and the 13th step Ooh, today wow. on a very special edition of RMA. Yay. Yay. Oh, wait. And welcome back yeah, to the thanks. show. Uh, may I? You may. Okay. Go on. Uh, so <laughs> you may have noticed, Nat, that we've picked up a few listeners over the last week. Um, <laughs> yes, welcome to everyone. Apparently appearing on This Naked Mind, uh, it leads to an increased number of downloads. I mean, Annie Grace is quite the the, the recovery kingmaker, if you will. Yeah, um, check her out if you haven't already. It seems like everyone else in the world, globally too. Yeah. Um, so I want to welcome all of you folks that found us through this naked mind or listen to my uh, interview with Annie, which was so crazy because that was recorded back in like March. Yeah, and I had more ago. or less forgotten about it until I got an email saying, hey, it's going to be up this week. And I did not expect the uh, storm that, that came after it. I got a lot of people reached out to me to talk about the interview. and um, Yeah, it was, you know, really it was really cool. It was really interesting. Um, and thanks thanks for those of you that have stuck around and joined the Facebook group and uh, you know, uh, listened to the podcast and have expressed some, some really positive things about it. Um, you know, Joining the Facebook group is a great way to get in touch with us. You can also visit us at middleagesrecovery.com. You can listen to the show there. You can buy merchandise. We have some really cool t-shirts. Yeah, buy some t-shirts. I'm wearing one right now. Yes, help support your friendly neighborhood podcast with the purchase of uh, merchandise. Yeah, I wore this to the bus stop this morning. (laughs) And I'm thinking, and there's there's like a lot of people at our bus stop this year. Right. And and it very clearly says, Recovery in the Middle Ages podcast. Right. I am an alcoholic. Look (laughs) at me. Don't you think I'm a scumbag? So I'm thinking, I'm like, 
I'm, I walk out there like, I don't care. Who knows? And I'm going to be cool. Yeah, that and lasted I, as long as you got to the corner. I can't tell you. I like had my, <laughs> I crossed my arms. I'm like, which one of them is going to notice and be like, what is that? Well, but we don't want our listeners to be ashamed to wear our merchandise. No, but uh, I did want to communicate my anxiety uh, we, over, you know, my identity most, as an alcoholic. Most people don't look at the shirt. No, so that's what I figured. Know? Nobody cares. Or they, or they, it's weird enough recovering the middle ages. Like they're not going to ask you about it. Yeah. You know, not at the bus stop. Mm. The only thing they want to know at the bus stop is what time the bus comes. Yeah. Uh, you can also find our podcast, uh, although I probably don't need to be telling you people this since you're listening to it right now, on uh, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, Amazon, YouTube, all of the usual uh, places. Yeah, we're everywhere. Um, the website, it, too. You could just listen straight from the website. You can. That'll We'll get a download also. Yep. It, it counts to our numbers. And speaking of numbers, um, you should uh, go to the website. Uh, write us a review. Wait, sorry. No, go to the Apple podcast thing and write us a review there. Five stars are appreciated because it helps us um, climb ever higher in the rankings of recovery podcasts where we can, if we end up on the front page, think of the number of people that we as a community can help recover from drugs and alcohol. Yeah, we're already popping up there. If you search like drug recovery addiction podcast, like we're up there with the big boys. I want to be the number one search term for recovery. Yeah. That's what I want. <laughs> Good luck. Yeah. <laughs> Who has that now? Nobody. You know? I don't know. Is it Joe Rogan? Because he seems to have all the other other ones. Yeah. Um, one word keyword searches are impossible. I guess if you if you Google uh, Joe Rogan and horse dewormer. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, he got COVID. Oh, he did? Yeah, yeah. Ah, he's taking the in- Invermectin or whatever that stuff's called. But anyway. Uh yeah, so great reviews will be read on the air. So if you leave us a nice review over at the Apple Podcast app, uh, we we will Apple Podcast. What? What is wrong with my mouth today? It's a rough day for uh, Mike over here. Um, <laughs> Just give us five stars. Five Say stars. something nice to massage my delicate ego. And uh, should they tell us their story? You can tell us your story by logging into middleagesrecovery. Well, you don't really log on. Just go to middleagesrecovery.com. There's, there's a anyway. form you can fill out on the page. And... Um, we will read your story on the air. We may even have a couple. We had a contest a couple of weeks ago for those of you who are new and haven't caught up, uh, where we gave away some download codes for um, a couple of books by uh, Joseph Naus, who we reviewed uh, a few weeks ago, uh, The Straight Pepper Diet and The False Graph Revelation. And those of you who are into recovery and want a really good read, you should go and check those books out. But Joseph sent me. <laughs> You're giving me this look because I, I know love, you don't want to give these away. I know, I know. We got um, so four cool. signed physical books. You got four? Well, two of each. Really? Yeah. I, I think you only sent me pictures of two. He he signed and like inscribed, I guess four, I thought it was two yeah. of his books directly to like fans of Recovery yeah. Middle Ages. I was, I'm a big fan of his and I was like, why doesn't it say to Nat? You know, <laughs> like, so like keep listening to Recovery Middle Ages. So we're... Uh, trying to decide what to do with these things. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe we need another contest. Should we ask, should we throw it open to the, to the people, I the think, group and I see if they can should. come up with some idea? Monsters. You know? Let us know. What, what do you guys, you guys want to win these books? They're really cool. It's, it's like hand signed by Joseph W. Naus. Um, and he writes some funny yeah, shit it's in pretty there. Funny. Maybe we won't reveal it until uh, we give them away, but he's, he's so, guys nuts, man. Yeah, he's, he's so funny. He's nuts, but he's very funny. Yeah. And a great writer and they're great memoirs. So do check them out. Yeah. Maybe we'll get him on the show. We are, are back and forth with him uh, trying to figure out how to get him on. Um, yeah. I recently found out that I don't have to go to California next week. Yay for me, but 
somewhat sad for the show because that means I don't get to sit down in his uh, uh, lavish Beverly Hills house or yeah. wherever he lives and uh, do an interview in person, unfortunately. So. Well, we shall see. He threatened to have his publishing company fly him out here. <laughs> he did. Come he did. The, which would be amazing. Uh, I think I would be uh, pretty intimidated, you know, having him in the storeroom. Here, but, uh, <laughs> we might have to up the uh, yeah. up our game a little bit and, you know, <laughs> rent out some space or do it in a hotel ballroom or something. So we, we got five, we had five winners. One of them, uh, Ezra, um, I thought we would read his story today. It's a bit of a long one. We should do that. Um, so... Here we go. Ezra, one of our winners. Hey, Mike and Nat, I'm such a huge fan of your podcast. It's really helped me in my day-to-day struggle. I have listened to every episode and will continue to listen. That's 51 episodes. That is. We had the, today is 52. Yeah. I am only 35, not yet middle-aged. That's yes, what you think. You are, man. <laughs> you're middle-aged. You're right in that target my, demo, yeah, my friend. Right, you're it. <laughs> but can relate to each of you anyway. That's why you can relate to us. You're middle-aged. <laughs> I will warn you that my story is very long-winded. Here we go. I had a lot of trouble trying to pick... Uh, and choose what to include in it. If my story is too long, please let me know and I will cut it down. If you decide to read my story, this is like a precursor. Yeah. All right. Uh, we're going to just read it. Please Ezra, refer to me as Ezra K. Got it. Got it. My addiction started way before I ever picked up a drug or a drink. Mm. From a very early age, I knew I was different from everyone else. My parents didn't know what to do with me because I had so many issues they couldn't or didn't understand. It's pretty well written. Thank you, Ezra. I went from special school to a special school. I went from psychologist to psychologist and from psychiatrist to, so he's going all over. I was on so many different medications from a very early age. I was told to take them because they would help me at school. So I took them without question, which, you know, is very interesting how the, the amount of medicating that goes on yeah. kids these days. And, you know, that's, that's a show in and of itself. Yeah. I mean, cause I went through this with my oldest son. I'm you going were going through, through it, through it. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yep. Under, understood Ezra, why that kind of could have messed you up your brain. Yeah, circuitry. man. I was bullied and teased relentlessly. I just wanted to find somewhere to fit in, but I never could. This continued throughout high school for me. I did find solace hanging with the theater crowd. Me too. I was in the theater society acting when I could even still nothing ever felt right. After I graduated high school, drug and alcohol use started. Wow. Late. Yeah. I was rocking in. At least you got out of high school intact. Yeah. (laughs) I managed to stay away from all the using and partying when I was younger in the summer of 2004, it all changed. I would say that I made up for lost time, but that would be an extreme understatement. I started to get high with friends, but very soon I discovered that if I used by myself, I didn't have to share my drugs. That's a, uh, a light bulb moment, yeah, as we like, say, in the, in, the, in the course of your drug addiction. I never told people, even if I was hanging around people, to die, if I had some shit, I, oh, yeah. I would just pretend like I didn't have nothing. <laughs> like, Especially know. if it was cocaine. Oh, That I, was my cocaine, no, not your cocaine. No one's getting a bump of my shit, man. <laughs> uh, what started out being just a social thing slowly turned into something much darker. I would get high from sunup to sundown. Whether, whenever I could find dope, I got high. It started out with me being a complete stoner. Soon, the pot wasn't enough. Mm. And I started to try whatever I could get my hands on. Thankfully, I never came across anything harder than Coke. Uh, (laughs) I mean, (laughs) I guess you got to draw a line somewhere, right? (laughs) What exactly is harder than Coke? I guess crack could be harder than Coke and uh, heroin, maybe. Crack is just... Coke with a graduate degree. Yeah. I would do Coke, drink 
uh, or a GED, more likely. Uh, I would do coke, <laughs> drink, pop, snort pills, tripped on cough syrup. I yeah, did that too. I've heard about that. Robo tripping. Yeah. Took mushrooms, smoked opium. Uh, and Tussin up, they used to call it. Tussin. Yeah. And on top of all that was massive quantities of weed. Nothing else mattered at that point but getting high. All this was going on when I got to college. <laughs> that worked out for you. <laughs> I don't know how I graduated with my BA in wow, theater. Wow, holy shit. Wow, with theater, though? That's impressive. Took me um, 13 years of doing drugs to <laughs> figure yeah, that one out. You know what? Being an actor, and I was a big, uh, you know, not a big actor, but I did a lot of acting. You know, I do a lot of acting in life, and so part of how I feel like I got through it was acting and, um, you know, just pretending like you weren't who you, yeah. <laughs> who you really were. Well, so. aren't, don't all of us... In the who struggle with this sort of thing, aren't we all? You know, aren't, don't, aren't we? I mean, don't we have that public-facing persona, and then inside, it's a yeah. whole different ballgame. I mean, exactly. people, everybody does that. But I know, I like, think, I'm trying to unify. Like, I talked about that on another show. Like, I'm trying to unify who I've been projecting, yes, and who what is actually. That's going like on. integration. It's yeah. it's really hard to do. Once I graduated in 2009, this is back to the story. I moved back to my hometown. Did using and drinking continued from 2009 to 2013? I pursued a career. I thought. I wanted, but in actuality, that was only what I thought I wanted. Um, I was lost and didn't have any idea what what I wanted to do or where I wanted to go. I went to graduate school where I met my wife. We fell in love. Aww. She told me early on that my getting high wasn't a problem until it became a problem. <laughs> uh, little did I did she know it had always been a problem. Mm. Um, I feel like this is so parallel to my story too. Uh, I would lie and manipulate her into getting, finding, and paying for drugs for me. This all went on for about a year. Then everything really fell apart when I got arrested driving 101 miles <laughs> hour on the highway driving like i was in grand theft auto trying to get to my dealer's house before <laughs> he went to work oh that's man. funny did did you ever drive 101 miles an hour trying to get to work so you're not late usually not no but to go pick up <laughs> the rewards are different sometimes i did that on my way back from copping uh to get back to work in a reasonable hour I right mean, but it never did yeah um when i got okay when, when I got, got placed in, yeah. yeah, it didn't say he got arrested, but when he got placed in handcuffs, I was more terrified than I had ever been in my whole life. Luckily, I only got charged with reckless driving. Oh yeah, I guess he didn't get mm. uh, drugs on him. No, they didn't find I, his stash box. No, I could have gotten into even more legal trouble if the cop would have found my stash box. There you go. Uh, if we could just be patient and listen for the story. <laughs> I only had to serve- It's a long story, It, it is. I like it. Though. <laughs> I only had to serve three days in jail, thankfully, but that's a That's nightmare. it? Yeah. <laughs> I mean- <laughs> That's a lot of days in jail for reckless driving. I spent two days in jail, and let me tell you. But for reckless driving? Like, what state is this? Do we know? Well, 101 is like 40. It depends on what what, what the speed limit was. Like, if he was in a 15, Yo, and you're uh, 70 miles over the school. Yeah. <laughs> right before I went to jail, I found out that my fiance, soon to be my wife, was pregnant. Wow, there's more. I remember <laughs> lying on I'm the floor of the cell, and I was in uh, and writing a letter to my unborn son. I don't really know what I said. Probably a whole lot of empty promises and half-assed apologies. I got out of jail on September 11th, 2014. I used for another month just before I couldn't go on anymore. On October 11th, 2014, I entered the rooms of NA and have not found a reason to change my clean date. That's yeah, amazing. Great. My son was born on March 26th, 2015. You should write a memoir. You really... Um, 
good at putting in details here. Um, this is uh, this is good. I have had many ups and downs, good times and bad. No matter what obstacles I was facing, either internal or external, I didn't use. I got a sponsor and started working the steps. I got involved in service whenever I could and started to give back what was freely given to me. I know that might sound like some corny and a bullshit, but for me, it really worked. I began to feel better about who I was. I was working dead-end jobs, feeling miserable and worthless. I then heard about a position called peer recovery specialist, and I knew immediately that is what I wanted to do with my life. I took the peer recovery specialist training and started an internship at a local community service board in Virginia. I want to do that. I was considering getting a peer um, recovery specialist daily. Um, you have to go away here for like four days or something. Where and, do you go? I think it's something upstate. They have like a, um, it's a little like retreat. My wife said if I wanted to do it, she would support me. Wow. Um, I think I kind of want to do that. Uh, when a position, it's like 700 bucks, I think. When a position opened up there, I applied for the job and got it. I've been working there for almost two years. I spend my days helping and support fellow addicts on their own recovery journey. I'm now a certified peer recovery sports specialist, a smart recovery facilitator. Yeah. Yes. Awesome. Now and we're talking. A smart recovery family and friends facilitator. Uh, I'm so blessed to have reached this point in my life. At the writing of this, I have six years sober, seven on October 11th. My wife and I have been together for eight years, married for six. I don't know why she hasn't left me. Uh, at times, I tried to push her away, but I thank my lucky stars that she is still here by my side, despite everything I put her through. Our son is six years old, seven on March 26th of 2022. Yeah, that is detail oriented. Um, yeah. My wife, so like the J.R. Tolkien of like recovery members. My wife and I are expecting our second child, another boy, who is due towards the end of this December. My life is far from perfect now. However, I do know that I wouldn't have any sort of life if I was still in active addition. I am not cured and never will or be. Or addiction. Or addiction. What did I say? Addition? Addition. Active addiction. <laughs> my addiction is with me till the end, uh, till the day I die. Uh, as long as I stay clean and follow the program, anything is possible for me. Whew. Thank you, Ezra, and thank you to the fans for being patient. Um, hey, guy. I related to that a lot. That was a great story. Uh, what I want to know is I suspect there's a whole other book uh, that somewhere in between when you were talking about NA and then you becoming a smart recovery facilitator. And I would like to hear that story. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because making the jump from, from a 12 step base to smart recovery is an interesting leap to make. Uh, well, they always mention smart recovery, it, you know, and in all of my uh, outpatient rehabs that I've been to, um, you know, everything is really a, 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 you know, I noticed, yeah, no kidding. like for the most part, it also depends on the counselor that I had. If you had like a recovering alcoholic who was big into AA, that's what they spun. I found that when I had a straight up like academic professional clinician type, mm -hmm. they were more skeptical of AA yes. in general. You could tell like when I was super into AA, like a real like you know, big book thumper. And I was in one of these groups. I would, I was talking to my therapist at the time about it and you could tell she was like, yeah, yeah, that, that's great. But what you really need to do, <laughs> right. you know, she'd be like, yeah, yeah. Keep going to your groups. That's great. Yeah, keep yeah. talking. But 
right. what's really got to happen, you know, is over yeah. here. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was interesting. Well, I, what I find interesting is that smart recovery and AA just come from completely op and NA come from completely opposite ends of the spectrum. I mean, there, right, there is no value. They, of course. Well, do them I, together. I, I guess. Say. Mm, I don't know if you can do them together. Sure. Why not? Maybe you can. I mean, different strokes for different folks, right? People who are extremely religious and spiritual, I guess, will naturally gravitate towards the principles of Alcoholics Anonymous. And then people who are of more rational mind will and scientifically minded will have lots of problems with it. So mm. I think whatever works for you is fine. I don't think there's any one true uh, you know, way of recovery or any one way up the mountain. Thank you, Ezra. And next we have a review to read. Yes. Uh, review from Lowell S. <laughs> <laughs> Lowell Lass, I believe, Not right? Lowell ass. Not Lowell Ass. <laughs> One year sober, five star review. Uh, August 26, 2020 was my final final. August 27, 2020 was the start of my new life. Coke and booze has been my best bud for too long. I tried over the years to stop on my own, but it didn't stick. It took a massive breakdown and a trip to rehab to open my eyes. My beautiful daughter and family have been my rock. Also, I, find your I found your podcast the week I got a re. Got out of rehab in October, and I haven't missed one. So awesome. That's great. I love your family stories and not having the AA program being front and center. Keep up the great work, and I will too. Kara in Seabrook Beach. Well, that dovetailed nicely with my last comment, which yes. you just sort of ignored and went yes. straight into it. Right into it. Yeah, I figured we need to move <clears throat> on because we've got so much to talk about. Oh, uh, we do. Speaking like, of our family stories. Yes. We've had... We've, Back to school week. Yeah, it is back to school. It is insanity. Uh, it's a mix of feelings. I'm so happy the kids are back in school, especially with COVID. Things are better, you know, but... Back to school with COVID. It, it's like <laughs> getting all the way back into this groove, you know, things are different. Do you like the groove? I, pr I need the groove. I'm a groove. I like. I always complain about that. Like, when I can count on my kids are going to be here at this time, and I can be here at that time. I know that there's like at least four hours that I can get done the things I need to do. That is a good thing. I I noticed yesterday, like for the first time, that I was alone in the house since the end of whatever. Since my wife stopped working, uh, you know, in her school district. Like, it was so quiet, yeah. you know, aside from the pug farting in the other room, it was, everything was just very chill. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I prefer when everybody's around, but I, I am, I am more productive when, when they are not, Yeah, I have to say. Um, but yeah, I mean, I got some great news this week, uh, which kind of took away a bunch of the stress because we yeah. were really worried about how everybody was going to get to school. Cause my son, Jack is going up to a um, private school, Catholic school up four towns away yeah. and uh, you know, the bus would have to come and get him at like quarter to seven in the morning and he's not a, a morning person. <laughs> so he wants to take the train, which you can do, but yeah. someone would have to drive him to the train station. And I'm like, I got to go back to work in three weeks. Don't know how that's going to work. Don't know how my youngest son, Ben is going to get himself together and out the door because my wife will already be gone. Yeah. And, um, and then out of, out of nowhere, I got like a um, uh, the fairy godmother dropped an email in my inbox yesterday from from the CEO of my company who said that we are indefinitely postponing our return to the oh, office. So great, yes, it is so great. We I, were very unsure on how we were going to proceed here. Yeah, well, we were going to proceed. That's the important thing, right? I mean, yeah. we we're definitely going to proceed, but how? 
you know, yeah. I don't know. We would have figured it out, but this yeah. is cool. Um, and, and you've got three kids. You have one who's, what, a senior? Yeah, he's going to graduate this year. Another starting a new school new who's school. going to ninth grade? Or yep, eight, yeah. ninth grade. And then a, and then a son, my my son's age, not my age, uh, who <laughs> is going back to the public school in the sixth grade, which is right. a big change from so fifth grade. All three of them are in different schools. So I was, I'm stressing out because my oldest, who, you know, has, he's, brilliant but he's also not like a traditional learner he's you know Mm -hmm. diagnosed adhd um which is a recent thing and so it just sort of you know verifies what we all even him he was like yeah i mean that's me and i'm like okay great like i don't see that as a bad thing i see it as okay now we have a direction now we know how to and this new setup in the sixth grade it's not sitting in one class like elementary school all day long and so he loves it he loves his homeroom teacher um you know and he just it really is better for him the way sixth grade is going uh i don't know how did how does ben like the uh your your son like the new um like going teacher to teacher and uh he he really likes it um and there's a more freedom there's a couple of teachers in that grade who um really are very good um there's a a male teacher or two, which is different. Yeah. Um, yeah. As you get older, you get more male teachers. Yeah. But that's something that he's not had before. So. Really? Well, no, he did last There's year. the one teacher yeah, yeah, yeah. that everybody loves. Right. And it was one of the reasons I was like, uh, when I'm looking at, I was looking to get into education or thinking about it. I was like, everyone's like, going to elementary school education. There's no men. You'll get a job instantly. It's true. You're an old drug addict. Um, <laughs> you know, the so. problem is you have to be around uh, kids all day yeah <laughs> that could be rough that would but drive me insane i love kids you know i mean um, i like them too but i like my own and i like their friends <laughs> i don't know if i'd like a bunch of strangers children but so which is why people who do that work yeah. god bless them god bless, god bless them. them god bless including our wives our wives are excellent um did you see um noah's hair are you aware of what happened to my uh, oldest's hair i am aware of his hair but i <laughs> i do not why don't you tell everybody else who's not aware of it? So, uh, as you may or may not know, my oldest son, he's kind of cool, right? He's kind of like, he's doing his cool thing. Mm-hmm. He grew his hair out, which is, I was the same way. Not at his age, but I was a long hair. I dyed my hair in, in high school and stuff. And uh, he, his hair's grown out. We've been letting him keep it so long as it stays brushed. And I don't want to see dreadlocks, you know. He really wanted, <laughs> it's very popular right now for kids, like normal kids, to just like dye their hair blue and green. Like this is way more uh, common these days. They do it at yeah. uh, a salon. And he wanted to get his whole head blue. I guess there's a YouTuber who does it or something. And Believe it or not, hypocritically, I was completely against it. I'm like, no, you're not dyeing your hair blue. That's absurd. You know, you that's a high school thing, not right. a not a sixth grade thing. No, <laughs> but uh, he seems to be more advanced. Partially my fault. Um, I'm going to blame myself for this. Um, but I said no. I said no. But my wife was like, you know what? Yes. Hmm. I'm going to say yes. And so the whole hair? No. The compromise was these blue highlights and he has dark brown hair. And it turned out to be really cool. It does look cool. I'm just, I'm jealous as hell. When you first told me about that, I learned something. 
what I learned was you have to bleach the hair first before you put the dye in or you yep. can't even see it. Exactly. Yeah. You know, I didn't ever have that advantage. My parents would never have done that for no. me. No. So I used to use sun, sun in. in. Yeah. Right. And then I would dye my hair some ridiculous collar. We'd get manic panic from that head shop uh, in the neighboring town. <laughs> and um, in any case, so that's, manic that's panic. a big change. And, um, you know, my youngest loves his new teacher. Um, he's just, Maxie is easy, man. He's just an easy kid. He's, so great and uh, he's doing great at school very happy to be back well my son who is like i said starting at a new catholic school yeah they're pretty serious um, over there yeah they have to wear jackets and ties and dress yeah. pants and you know he has been used to rolling out of bed and going to school and you know did he the cut usual his hair? Thing, the sweatpants and the uh he did wow he was not happy at all he had pretty long hair he too. had very long hair and it was cut now above his collar right. um and you know he i made my wife take him <laughs> like i'm not gonna do it you take him to like a yeah. salon and have him do it yeah so um He's been having a little bit of a rough transition. I mean, you know, he's a very smart kid. Um, the problem is our local high school is just, I, I, don't, I don't know if it really has the programs for him. So we made the decision to send him there. We gave him, took him on a tour. I explained everything to him, but that's very different from actually showing up yeah. and having to wear those clothes when it's like 90 degrees outside and all this what? other stuff. So uh, I'm hoping things smooth out. It's a great opportunity for, I know kids can't see that when they're in it, of course but not. You know, yeah. graduating from there is a great opportunity. But I did a very, I had a very adult conversation with him about why he's there and stuff like, because, you know, I, and here's something I couldn't have done a few years ago when I, you know, I was still like, you know, half in the hung over in the bag. Like I didn't instantly react to his dislike of the place. You didn't have an emotional, I didn't like, have an emotional response. You win like, great. I just yeah. paid for this or, you know, grow up, you know, or just get over it. You, you know, had a conversation. I had a conversation with him. Imagine and, that. Yeah. And it, uh, and I think it, I mean, God knows what he thinks inside his right. head, but, uh, I said, listen, I, I just need you to give it a try, you know, yeah. do your best and, you know, we'll reevaluate halfway through the year and see where we're at. No. Yeah. I get a lot further. I think just like listening a little yes. bit. And I really fight against reacting emotionally to the things my kids say mm -hmm. and the things they do. Um, and I feel like that's just my parenting style. I'm not saying it's wrong to, cause look, my brother was more of a shut him down. And, and he was even <laughs> right. a little bit of capital punishment. I think he was a hitter. Um, and, um, uh, and I'm not for that, but the, his kids came out great. <laughs> Capital punishment? You know, hitting. Oh, okay. You know, just a whack right. or, you Seems know. a little severe I, if you're going to execute yourself. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, they, uh, and so my parenting style, I, I think I have a better relationship. You know, maybe, you know, they're kids. They're not going to behave perfectly. You expect a kid to be like a, a Marine. <laughs> you know, it ain't happening. And, uh, um, yeah. You know, yeah. especially if they're used to a certain way of being. And then they, mm -hmm. you know, that, but, that's the thing for him. It's, uh, yeah. I mean, parenting, am I right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so the other thing, I had an interesting time, uh, I think it was last Friday, we had tickets to see the great James Taylor at oh, the yeah. Jones Beach Amphitheater. Uh, yeah. Which one is this? Oh. Go, going to Carolina. Oh, I love this song. In my mind, I'm going to Carolina. Did you say California? <laughs> no. 
I thought you said I'm going to California. He Did was I? amazing. Oh, That's Led Zeppelin. Different, different band. Uh, he was amazing. You know, kind of boring. Um, <laughs> you know, it's James Taylor. He plays like I like James Taylor best when he doesn't have all of that uh, cheesy '70s pop instrumentation. You know, like when he's not doing that where it's just his guitar, him backup singers, and he plays the, the songs he played, um, copper line, which is one oh, yeah, of my I like favorite song. songs and, uh, and all of his classics and, uh, Jackson Brown opened for him. Uh, and he's got a bunch of, in any case, it was a fun, I'm glad that we did it. It was my wife and I, and, uh, her cousin and husband were really good friends with them. And, uh, of course it's very popular. Who's this Jackson Brown? You were talking about cheesy 70s instrumentals by James Taylor. I'm sorry, I just had to bring this up. Because I'm kind of a big fan. Yeah. Yeah, this is actually good. I'm thinking like certain saxophones. and Boy, the guy can write a hit though, I'll tell you. He, he's brilliant. And what I didn't know about him is, and I feel like an idiot for not knowing this, apparently it's, it's a famous thing. Mm. He dedicated a song to those in recovery. Indeed. I wish I remembered what song it was, but uh, he said before he played it, um, that, you know, the song he wrote uh, after John Belushi died, I guess they were friends, hmm. he put a verse about that, you know, at the front of it and, and said, you know, that that experience scared him sober were the exact words that he used. Yeah. Um, and, um, and I thought that was really great, but he also said something else because in the crowd you could smell the pot. Like, I'm sure I inhaled marijuana, you know, like these are old white people, yeah, old hippies, uh, you know, uh, and like like we pre pre gamed in the in the parking lot, you know, which I I don't love doing, but I'm pretty good at doing that without drinking these days. Yeah, but in that parking lot, it was nice. We actually brought sushi. Oh, that's which nice. is extremely got to bring some food. You know, yeah. we had chairs. We're hanging out. And this with, was at uh, the beach, right? You yep. saw, it. yeah, and. Uh, and so my wife, of course, they bring all the booze that they're going to drink, but uh, she's, you know, uh, she was supposed to bring my, my sodas. Like, uh, my special drink is like Dr. Pepper, usually, mm. or a Mexican Coke. That's like my <laughs> special drink. Can't let go of the Mexican Coke. I love it. <laughs> and uh, yeah, even with the deviated septum, I can have as much as I want. Um, and so it, we had a good time, but it was just funny. You know, I overheard this just old people. I'm talking like 70s. Like, oh, we got uh, gummies. You want a gummy? Yeah. He's like, yeah, sure. Like, literally. And then we the were... folks tripping out on uh, THC gummies. And we had the nosebleed seats, you know, but um, as it was going, man, puffs, you could smell the pot and people are just lighting up and like just in the open. It's That's just, so old school. That's how you know you're at a, you're at a boomer concert because, you know, the, the, the newer concerts, the new, newer bands, people smoking pot, they're just vaping it. Yeah. You know, yeah, exactly. You don't smell anything. Yeah, it was a legit, like old people. The boomers are pot. just roasting bones up uh, in the stands. So, um, in 1983, uh, James Taylor got sober attending AA, but it is an ongoing process getting clean. He took methadone to address his heroin usage, and that became a powerful addiction in itself. It really lives in your bones, he said. I mean, quote, it just takes forever to get over it, unquote. Mm. Uh, it helped to see addiction as a physical disease. That's just a little blurb that I found uh, about his recovery. So Interesting. He was a serious uh, recovering dude. I don't Do know. Do you ever see the cover of the Gorilla album? What does that look like to you? <laughs> um, that was at the sort of the height of his addiction. I, it looks like he's on the nod to me, but you know. 
Oh, oh, in that one. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so um, that was interesting, a little recovery thing. And what I was drinking all night, uh, where I'm going with this is, um, I got this can of water. I, I posted it on our- How much did they charge you for that can of water? It was $6 or something. <laughs> Jesus Christ. But what was really weird is I took that really cool picture I posted in our private group of the water I was drinking. Mm-hmm. So on our way home, my wife says, look at this. Somehow Jones Beach's social media posted my picture on their page. What? Yeah. It was, I don't know how they must have, because I wrote Jones Beach when I posted it oh, on, right. on my regular page. Okay. So not the private. I yeah, did it yeah. on both. So they must have searched Jones Beach, found my picture, and then said, you know, but I didn't give them permission. I didn't send it to anybody. Did you tag them? You- no, I didn't even tag it. Maybe it auto-tagged me with the GPS, huh. and then they're able to see it. But that, they did both of my pictures. I took a picture of James Taylor on the... Megatron or whatever. Really? Both of those pictures were in a, uh, a post they made about the show that was about 25 pictures long. It's probably some disclaimer on your ticket that allows them Dude, to do that. Is that a little creepy? But It they, is a little creepy. They loved my photograph of the it bottle of water. It was a good picture of a bottle of water. Thank you. Um, <laughs> so that was exciting. How did you do with this uh, hurricane? Did everybody else get a hurricane? A recent one? Hurricane like the last Ida. two days? Yeah, we... we it was fine. We it, was, the tail end, it, was, you know. it was moist. Um, People we're, were drowning in their basements and cars, but... Yeah. Oh. I don't know. How did you monsters out there do with the uh, hurricane? Did you get hit? I mean, New Orleans uh, really, again, got nailed, and so our thoughts and prayers go out to everybody. There's like a million people out of power uh, in the dead of, you know, and it's hot out. Uh, we really in uh, New York, uh, Southern New York, you could say, um, hmm. just got a lot of rain. Um, the subways in New York City got flooded. Yeah, they look like um, rivers. You know. More people, though, died in New Jersey than died in Louisiana mm-hmm. from this. Yeah, there was like a whole bunch of people got killed in tornadoes and Jesus. drowned. So our thoughts go out to our, our, our friends in New Jersey as well. You know, so that was rough. But again, we sort of dodged a bullet here. Um where are we with time? Wow. I know. Okay. Yeah. You know what? So maybe uh, we should skip ahead to our topic, eh? Yeah. I think at, at this time, we are going to get Aaron Moore on the phone for Get Smart with Aaron Moore. We're discussing uh, from our last week's discussion about sponsorship. Um, we, As we discussed what we wanted to do next, it sort of naturally came up <laughs> as this 13-step problem. Uh, and so what is the 13th step? The 13th step is, I guess it's a euphemism for when, uh, someone older in AA or anyone in AA, you know, like basically sexually harasses a newbie. Preys upon. Uh, preys upon. or kills in yeah. some cases. 13 step could be as simple as just making like, you know, making them feel uncomfortable because you're, you know, trying to date them, any kind of stuff like that, but it gets really bad. Um, and we were just um, discussing a documentary called The 13th Step, which really uh, kind of exposes uh, some of the safety issues um, that have come uh, because of, you know, the the unsafety and the unregulated nature of AA groups well, and, on top of judges. Um, yeah, it was something I didn't even really consider, but when you, when you have uh, AA being used as an alternative for incarceration for not only people who are convicted of offenses like DUI, but even people who have committed sexual assaults and other crimes, uh, judges and prosecutors are requiring these folks to go to AA meetings. 
for because AA is there because it's ubiquitous and it's the it's one of the only places uh, that exists for, where you can send people. Um, you can't. What I also found was interesting is that you cannot in half the states in the country you cannot mandate that someone go to an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting because they are considered a religious organization. But in the other half, apparently you can. And uh, what, what the result being is that you have these people who have long criminal records who yeah. maybe they got picked up for a DUI uh, this time, right. but they have a you know 50-page rap sheet, which includes sex, sex assaults, yeah. all this other stuff. And judges are saying, okay, uh, you know, instead of sending you to jail for five years, if you can show me that you've gone to AA yeah. for, you know, and you get your card stamped or whatever, and you come back, you know, we'll drop the charges. So it's basically sending, sending these predators into Alcoholics Anonymous meetings. Yeah. And the, the secondary problem, of course, being is that these AA meetings are locally run and there's no, um, yeah, you know, there's no police force in AA. There's nobody that's going to, you know. Yeah, I mean, look, this is by no means how it always goes in AA. It is a danger. Um, it's something that we wanted to highlight. Since we're talking about sponsorship, because we're going to recommend, when we recommend our tandem sponsor program, we're also recommending seeking out a mentor. And so that, that may still put you in a situation where, you know, there's somebody who you're looking up to who, you know, could possibly take advantage of you. It, it happens in almost every organization sadly the cub scouts the you know cub scout leaders the churches you know youth groups and so we just wanted to sort of highlight that this is also a danger in aa and other 12-step groups it doesn't not to say that you can't get a lot out of it and get uh, and be safe but just one of those things because when you first go into these groups you're typically at your most vulnerable right you know and, and so it's so important that um and this is why we recommend the tandem sponsoring it's like you bringing a friend who's looking out for you right uh just like when girls uh would go out and they always bring a friend they would never hit or shouldn't hit the bar alone they always have a girlfriend <laughs> right um so with that or a wingman uh i think we're gonna try and get uh aaron moore on the phone <laughs> yeah i mean you know we should say that you know the, the the examples that they put forward in this movie 13th step of like, you know, people meeting people in AA and then ended, ending up yeah. dead. That, that's, that's not like, that's not the norm, but, but something that happens probably more frequently is just more subtle forms yeah. of, you know, manipulation, manipulation, control, right. Control. And, like, uh, and so. who are these people? And you know, especially if you're sending a daughter to uh, AA or a son, even, uh, it's something new to, to worry about um and Shoot, that's um, not what i wanted to do okay so with that uh you know let's hold on one second and we'll be right back okay we're back all right technical issues resolved Ooh, that's, kind of that's a bit hot yeah hello hello erin welcome to the show the great erin moore has returned to discuss sponsorship the 13th step and just tell us how you're doing how you doing oh i'm doing great i uh yeah it's it's a nice morning and Prior to this, I was just enjoying my coffee and, and getting my game face on. Yeah, how's All the right. new place? I know that last time we talked to you, which, by the way, uh, the Relapse Spectacular 
um, both of those episodes set records for downloads. So yes, like, everyone was really, really into the into yeah. your relapse. <laughs> but um, <laughs> it was a very everyone low- except me, <laughs> right? And uh, yeah, so just like, how are you doing with all that stuff? You feeling better? I mean, you, you were doing good last yeah. we spoke to you, but you know, you were in a bit of a transition, uh, and you um, you're getting all settled in your new place. So just like, how's how's all of that going? It's all going. Uh, well, you know, it depends on who you ask. If you ask, ask my sponsor, she would say, it's all going just how it's supposed to. Um, <laughs> no, but it is. It, <laughs> you love hearing shit like that, right? Uh, <laughs> sponsorship. Uh, yeah, no, it's going great. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll say it was, certainly was a lot of transition and has been. Um, but, you know, I, I think that's when we get to the next level in general in life, right, is through uh, that pain being the touchstone of all spiritual growth shit. (laughs) (laughs) It's a great way of looking at it. It's a good outlook. Um, Funny you mentioned your sponsor. Um, (laughs) Good segue. Yes. Is she here? I'm in trouble. All right. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Yeah. You know, there's an idea for, for a show. We should get awesome. alcoholics on and then unbeknownst to them, it's have sponsors their sponsors listening. listening and then they can jump in <laughs> oh at the end. <laughs> oh, man. oh my God, that would be great. Yeah, and I did not say that. Yeah, that would be. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you must, I mean, you've got a sponsor now. I mean, like, have you always gotten a sponsor? Like, what's your overall like stance on sponsorship and like how it's working for you? Well, I think... Um, for what sponsorship was really, in, I guess, intended for initially, um, you know, my stance on it is, is that when when it comes down to needing some guidance going through the 12 steps, you know, I, I don't see any other way to do it other than being guided by someone else who has done that mm-hmm. previously. Uh, and so I think that for all intents and purposes, it's such a valuable thing most of the time we'll have different ideas of what sponsorship is or whether it's overblown or it's something that we heard that sponsors um, do things like uh, wellness money or, Mm. you know, drive us around places that don't have anything to do with meetings or, you know, various things. So most of it has to do with expectations. Mm-hmm. And like, boundaries. Like you shouldn't uh, be washing yeah. your sponsor's car, right? That's you know. I think that, and I'll I'll tell you my caveat with that is that I know a lot of people do incorporate that type of thing into it. Uh, usually, if they're doing it for some therapeutic value, which I can't say if they are, or they aren't. It's not my style. Hmm. Uh, they're doing it with them. They're not doing it they're not getting the sponsor to do it for them. Does that make sense? Well, ideally, yes, that's the way it should go. But I personally don't get sponsors to do chores. (laughs) Uh, But that's a great point. I'm doing it wrong. (laughs) I mean, you make a a great point. Like uh, we're, we're sort of kind of arguing about it out loud on the show right now. Like I have basically, I think the sponsor having a sponsor, like you said, someone to take you through it um, someone who's been there. And, you know, I pointed out, you know, someone to show you where the bathroom is at the meeting and, and all of that stuff and have the support. And so we're, you know, and obviously Mike has had a 
different experience with sponsors. And we've all heard these stories. Like I've had good experiences with sponsors. It didn't keep me sober, but you know, you could say that's just my fault. Um, but what you could, but lots of people, (laughs) I mean, obviously Aaron did, was this sponsor with you for your relapse or is this a new sponsor? And, and how did, how did they handle that with you? If, if she was uh, your sponsor at the time? Well, the sponsor I have now is a new sponsor, new to me uh, in, in that role. We've known each other for several years and, and have been, you know, friendly uh, throughout the program, although I wouldn't say that we're very close friends, which is what makes it something that was not as difficult a transition for me to seek her out as a sponsor. Sometimes right. if you know, you're two closest friends or you have some basis like that for a relationship, then it can make it a little stickier and probably not a great idea. But, uh, yeah, so I did not prior to that have a sponsor for about a year, year and a half. Um, and of course some might argue before that, that I probably had sponsored myself at plenty of times (laughs) in my sobriety. But, um, whereas, you know, if you're really staying close and at least seeking out guidance when, when you meet situations you don't know how to handle, then you're not just trying to figure it all out yourself. But with her, you know, she was somebody who I felt, I felt comfortable enough that I could trust with some things that kind of came out of the relapse that required a great deal of, of trust to be able to share and to work through with somebody. So having someone I already felt that I had shared some of that with Mm. worked in my favor at that point. That's an interesting point. Um, Just to touch on something you said, um, you, so you don't think like if you're really good friends with someone that would lend itself to being a good sponsor relationship. Um, I, I presume it's because there's some things that you would tell a sponsor that you don't necessarily feel comfortable telling a friend. Um, but you know, the, the converse of that is, you know, when you walk into the rooms for the first time and you have to ask somebody to sponsor you, you really don't know them at all. You know, yeah, the person right. you're asking. Yeah, so, a, lot, a lot of people, yeah, that, that is a trick. I mean, I remember in AA meetings. So you don't know what you're going to get. They always have <laughs> temporary sponsors. You know, um, you know, they usually say uh, anyone with a year or more, if you're willing to be a temporary sponsor, right. they raise their hands. Um, and But much has been made of making like the new people have to call uh, the sponsors or, you know, they pass around a phone list and then, uh, you know, it was always extremely difficult for me to, to make that first phone call. Um, but you know, do you think it should be more, um, normal for them to call the new person and, you know, maybe they should be reaching out to the new person. I don't know. Well, I'll, I'll, uh, pedal back to just, a like a, a, to what, uh, Mike was saying. And when he asked, you know, about the friendship, aspect my concern about using someone as a sponsor who's been a friend is a little bit more that there's you know i don't know how else to put it but there there's a a natural power disparity that comes with being what someone would perceive as and i say perceive as because we meet as equals in aa uh, perceive as an authority figure and when you're choosing a sponsor, usually that's how you're looking at them, whether it's, you know, whether it's warranted 
uh, healthy, whatever, that we, we kind of need that because if we're going to look at somebody who we want to die to us, we kind of have to look at them that way to some degree. Mm-hmm. But if we're, you know, if we have someone that we've always seen in a different way or had a certain relationship with, there are plenty of times when a sponsor has said to tell me about myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Right. And I, in, in ways that I, you know, certain friendships don't, you know, they don't have that aspect. And so it can be a little more uncomfortable because you're worried that you might say the wrong thing to a sponsee and now you've cost yourself a friendship as well. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you might be less likely to be candid with them about something they need to hear about their, you know, themselves. Yeah. Um, one thing that you hear said in the rooms is um, that you should find someone who you want what they have. You know, so like some of the ways I looked for a sponsor was I'd be in the meetings and then if um, somebody would be speaking usually or the guy or, uh, who was chairing the meeting and I thought hey, we're particularly wise or I wanted their insight, you know, and you got a good feeling. And um, and that that's a good way to do it, I think. And, um, you know, I feel like. Uh, the sponsorship, like we were talking about how, you know, Mike and I are basically like workout buddies and we're calling ourselves tandem sponsors when it comes to it. But we're always sort of referring to like a higher text or something we're studying, whether it's the Naked Mind program. I obviously draw a lot from 12 Step uh, or books that we're reading. And, and so we were sort of trying to like suss out, you know, how would we, you know, reorganize this to be more equitable, but would still help someone, you know, get a mentor who could guide them, you know, through the beginnings of it and then sort of, you know, maybe back off and become more of a peer. Um, Be- because right. when you look well, at the- what most people don't tell you about temporary sponsorship, right? That when you mentioned uh, that idea is, surprise they're all temporary potentially like right mm-hmm. people think they're choosing their life mate when they're choosing a sponsor right and you know i'm always very open with with new people like just choose somebody you can fire them later you can get a new one now the thought of that is terrifying to most of us yeah. mm-hmm. but that's what nobody tells you is that you are not signing a contract you are not entitled you know they're not entitled to your time you're not obligated to continue to use them if you find for some reason you want a new one well you know uh, the other people in the program will help you to navigate through that too that's very hard that's a hard ask for someone who's oh new. it is um well and i ho- I always hope it doesn't turn out like that but i never want them to feel like they're choosing because sometimes they won't choose at all because i won't if i think well shit this is my one shot at choosing the right <laughs> sponsor and it's i'm fucked if i don't i mean the way the way they originally envisioned sponsorship i guess the the bill and dr bob was that you know it's somebody who'll take you through the steps and they articulated way back when that they thought that was something that could be done in an afternoon but the way it's sort of morphed over the years it's almost now like it's a quad it, it, it resembles like a quasi therapeutic relationship um yeah you know because you're I mean, let's face it, you're, you're getting guidance in the 12 steps from a sponsor, but you're also, you know, you can't help but look up to them as somewhere, quote, more advanced than you in recovery. And you're going to, yeah. you're going to ask them for advice in all different aspects, all different areas of your life. And, and that 
can, that can be problematic, yeah, especially it, when when you know the person who is the can. sponsor is not really doesn't have your best interest at heart. Plus, even if they do, they're not prof- trained professionals. They can, you know. Yeah, it's the learning from well, their and experience, if they're a good strength, sponsor, and hope. They're not. Yeah, if they're if they're a good sponsor, they're not giving you advice. Right. Uh, the one wishes there was some. One wishes there was a little bit of training. Maybe yeah. that the AA I think organization nice. could just. I wonder, you know, like why don't they do yeah. that? You know, having this conversation, I'm sort of like thinking about, you know, what is the best way we can educate people looking to get into recovery who are going into AA, which I still I recommend highly. Um, you know, how can we prepare someone to know what to expect and to, you know, kind of be able to identify when it's clearly like a predator or someone who's on a power trip or, you know, like I, I lucked out having, you know, four sponsors that were great. And for the most part, it was the way I was approaching it that was sort of unhealthy, if ever. And um, I was very mm-hmm. lucky to have a, more than one sponsor say to me, like, you know, remember where you met me. You know, anytime um, exactly. they, they thought like, I was... I'm not the know, wellest person in the room all the time, y'all. And I always appreciated that. And the other thing they would say is, you know, because you always feel bad calling uh, a person. You're like, oh, I'm sorry I called it so late. And they always would tell me, you know, you're helping me more than I'm helping you. And, you know, maybe having like a a training program, you know, where they have best practices for how you ought to, you know, approach sponsorship. uh, Maybe that would be a a fix. Maybe that would really help because you always hear about stories, you know, about bad things happening or or even just like you'll hear. Yeah, I'm sorry. I was going to say, or even just like some basic ethical training, even if you're not going to have any other kind of training, then at least ethics and training and boundaries and where you draw lines and that sort of thing. Yeah, because just because they say they're sober doesn't mean that they're really like equipped <laughs> to be in that kind of uh, situation. So it's sort well, of That's true. And some you know? areas will have like workshop, you know, sponsorship workshops where they'll, you know, I mean, that's kind of put on by individual, you know, intergroups or areas or whatever. It's not mandatory. But the other thing is, that when if you've ever heard someone speak at the podium and they say, I have a sponsor who has a sponsor, mm-hmm. um, they're saying that. So, you know, so that I guess the implication is that they, you know, are, are having things passed down along that way. If you have a sponsor who has a sponsor, then really they should be utilizing, you know, that sponsor in guidance on how to help you. Yeah. And so one thing you can find out from a potential sponsor is, do they have one? And is it somebody who is known to seem to have some sense? Yeah. Um, And you don't Mm -hmm. know that right away, right? So it's also the argument for maybe not getting a sponsor the day you walk in. Um, You know, but then how long do you wait? I don't, I don't really know, but I, I do suggest waiting till you get a lot of, a good enough feel for the room mm-hmm. that you can tell who sounds like an absolute maniac. Right. Right. Yeah. And I, don't pick them, you know, but I was so insecure about, um, rejection and abandonment and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like when I got my very first sponsor in 2013 in AA, I had been around, I hadn't been around very long and it all played out the way it needed to, uh, because of all the shit I faced in my first month of sobriety. But, 
there were two women uh, besides myself attending meetings in this small town, and that was typical here. Mm-hmm. And so the pool was not very, you know, there were other women, but those are the only two women that had more sobriety than, than uh, you know, a year or so. And I, in the middle of a meeting, because I was so like, I would die if I asked somebody and they said no. In the middle of a meeting, I said, oh, and so-and-so is going to be my sponsor right away. She doesn't know it, but she knows it now. Right. You know, and it was like my, it was the most like manipulative, you know, and I didn't see it that way. And I don't see it as harmfully either. It was clearly very insecure. Mm Mm-hmm. Because I thought, well, she's not going to say no in front of all these people, right? Like, that yeah. would make her the asshole, you know? Yeah, it feels like asking a girl out on a date. I remember feeling... It totally and it, did. And when I wanted to, quote-unquote, fire a sponsor or something, it literally had that same emotion of, like, breaking up with someone. Mm. You know what I mean? Um, but Well, and I never you know, did that in a healthy way either. Right. I broke up with them like I did every guy ever, just right. not mention it, and I hope he got the hit. <laughs> just ghosting the sponsor. <laughs> yeah. But, yes. Uh, working the steps, though, you know, one of the good things, I do want to, you know, try and, you know, also highlight what are the good things about sponsorship. Um, and for me, in AA, the t- doing the 12 steps for me is the program. It's the most important part, probably, besides service. Uh, and, well, it's all part of one thing. But um, And so that was where I got a lot of traction. You know, when I had a really good sponsor, we were meeting and either reading the big book together, discussing it, uh, or directly working on the steps together, you know, and every sponsor had a different approach. Like some would be like, you're not ready to work the steps, which is crazy. And then some would be like, you know, here's our schedule. We're going to be step one this month. We're going to see how you do. And then, you know, and I got a lot, especially that fourth step, uh, and fifth step where you're, you're writing down all of uh, the things wrong and wrong to you. And, um, you know, so it could be very valuable, uh, when it comes to that. I mean, is the, are you going to work the steps again, let's say with your newer sponsor? I mean, what do you feel about, you know, reworking steps with new sponsors? Well, some of it is about getting acquainted in a certain way. And I can see how there are people who might feel a certain way about that, uh, when it comes to their ego or, or like, Oh, well, fuck that. I already did all that. I just want to start at step four. And, you know, like I could see how, and I kind of felt bad for my new sponsor because she had a certain respect level for me that I think she was worried about offending me Mm. early on. Um, because I had had a a good, you know, I had almost eight years and Mm. she knew me as she moved into this area uh, when I probably had about six or seven, five or six years and saw me in a certain light as kind of a service leader and a leader in a lot of ways. And, uh, you know, I was like, listen, I am, well, you know, I, uh, the desperation that came across, you know, my, my desk uh, in the midst of this relapse and after, like, I, I have no qualms about starting over in whatever way helped you get to know me. Mm. Um you know, because I, if I, you know, if I knew that if I still had certain terms or conditions, I probably wasn't ready uh, to let go of what I thought I knew, mm. meaning a damn thing, you know? Yeah, it takes a tremendous amount of like humbling yourself. Uh, anytime I saw like a quote unquote old timer who maybe had like 20 years who still talked about their sponsor when they shared or was clearly still, you know, putting themselves in like, you know, I don't know everything. 
you know, but I mean, it's right. very rare, but that, you know, that I think that can go a long way. Um, one of the other aspects of, of it's, you know, partially sponsorship, but just older, more experienced people or just like predators, you know, we were wondering, like we were talking about the 13th step. We weren't going to do the whole, we were going to talk about that documentary, but um, I wondered, I mean, it's usually more of a problem for women, I think. Um, who are more vulnerable sometimes for whatever reason, kind of like just because men are sex crazed bastards um, type of thing. And um, you said it, I did not. Well, yeah, <laughs> well, we know this is true. You know, I mean, not all of them, but uh, certainly not me. Um, you know, I wondered, did you? I mean, we hear a lot about this, and I wonder, did you experience in anything like that, where you know you were super vulnerable, you were new, and you know someone who's either been around or just pretended to be kind of, you know, made you uncomfortable? I mean, do you think that's a real, uh, a real problem? Well, 13 stepping is oftentimes really misunderstood. And I, uh, and what I mean by it is, um, that just dating in the rooms is not necessarily 13 stepping people call, you know, if you seem to have an equality about you, um, if there's not one that has less time, my personal experience with that and I will not, uh, I will not call him a 13th stepper because I, I don't think it was his intention, but, um, in a lot of cases it is their intention. And also, and you know, I've, I've mentioned 2013 as being when I got my first sponsor in AA. It's also when I first came to AA and within a month of sobriety, I was in a relationship with someone who had a couple of years. Wow. Yes, and, that could yeah. be problematic. I mean, but um, how did that it work was. out? Oh, that that did not. Uh, well, that ended this year, as a matter of fact. So it could have been worse, right? Um, it could have been worse. Uh, as far as I don't know how either of us stayed sober through a lot of the, you know, through a lot of those years. But what it did for me, I didn't have a, the foundation I I needed to come to a relationship as an equal at that point, and. Like I said, I don't think it was a predatory, like, I don't think on the surface it was a predatory behavior, mm. but it's certainly, um, you know, my, my mother died, uh, a couple weeks into my sobriety and within two weeks I was in the relationship with this man who had similar right. tendencies, uh, of emotional, uh, of emotional abuse and things. It was just kind of a shift and it was a, you know, my higher power shifted you know, to this relationship. Right. And, Two sickies um, yeah, don't make so, a welly. They always say that. It, and it's true. <laughs> yeah. And it's true. And we both, you know, uh, we both suffered in a lot of ways over the years because of the fact that neither of us, you know, could really see a lot of that, the trauma bonding and a lot of that stuff that went on. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, uh, it was never going to probably end well. And, um, I'll say that this is the first time that I've done sobriety all by myself. Mm. You know what I mean? Like when, when I think about it, it's kind of crazy. Those seven years I had, I never did any of that as a one whole unit acting independently. Right. And now you're reaching out in a healthy way to other alcoholics and addicts and the sponsor, hopefully, I mean, so much of it comes from your own approach. Um, to yeah. it and your perception. I mean, every time, because I've been to a lot of like rehabs and you see these rehab romances uh, c- come up all the time. There's a great documentary called Dope Sick Love that just follows around to, you know, heroin addicts and, you know, who are in love. And it's just yeah. like, 
fuck. Yeah, oh that my dopamine God. is some real shit, man. Yeah. It's kind of shit. And it's so hard, you know, not to fall into that because it's such a comforting thing. And I've actually heard of and seen scenarios. You know, I cringe every time, you know, I would have a buddy in rehab is like, oh, we're together, man. We're going to do this together. We're going to get sober. <laughs> and I'm like, dude, no, you're not. And so imagine working at a detox. Oh I did that God. for a few years. I, did, I don't know how <laughs> you do Every week was like, a new store, you know, they're like, this, no, you no, this is different. Okay. They're like puppies, you know, like they're just, they can't <laughs> help themselves, you know, but I always cringe. But once in a while, you, you know, it goes right, you know, and the two yeah. people, they get together and they work it out together. They get married. They have a great relationship, but I mean, it is very much like, you know, that's why they say don't do anything in the first year. You know, because they think maybe when you get a little more mentally stable, you'll be in a better position, you know, to make that kind of decision. I don't know. There's a lot well, of people out there who are level, not, right? not mental. So whoever I'm stable. attracting at my sickest is they cannot be well people. Yeah, AA is not. They always say it's not a hotbed of mental health, right? right. Like, uh, that's kind of that's kind of where I was going with that. But I mean, I'm I'm sort of wondering like how how common it is, you know, in, in a sponsor relationship that people sort of end up with the kind of person that is kind of more on their emotional level of maturity rather than someone who is. Yeah. Know. It always seems to be very like Obi-Wan Kenobi and Luke Skywalker, Yeah, which maybe is, is how it should be. Well, I, ideally that's how it would be. Right. But is that how it ends up? Well, they always Do you say mean that they're just as sick as you are. Yeah. They're sick. Is that what yeah. Or people, you know, people's, People who are damaged in a certain way tend to find one another, I guess is what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know? it's it's mm -hmm. tricky. And um, I mean, and we you definitely like need a mentor for sure. Um, but I mean, it, it's scary what in this documentary, they're really just trying to call attention to like there are judges um, and the court system that are mandating sex offenders who aren't even necessarily alcoholics to attend AA. Mm -hmm. right. And there have been a series of really bad outcomes from that. Um, and I, I wonder if that's wise. I mean, like my, when I ha was in the court system, I mean, I had a DWI, but that didn't mean I'm necessarily an alcoholic. And I was definitely mandated, at least by my probation officer and in my groups that I was forced to be in. Were you mandated to a 12 step program or were you mandated for some kind of counseling? Because both. Okay. Yeah. Cause I the Supreme court ruled that technically, um, and I don't know how this trickles down locally. Um, I'm sure there's somebody that knows this, but I know that there was a ruling at the Supreme Court level um, that they were no longer allowed to sentence you to AA or a 12-step program specifically because of the religious, Correct. you know, the religious right. freedom aspect. Yeah, they but can't sentence you to church. When they say recovery. Yeah, like with an attorney, a lot of times, you know, with the defense attorneys I know around here, um, their job is to try to find you a lesser, like if they can call something related to alcohol or drugs and get you into rehab or, or a recovery program rather than, you know, whatever your actual crime was, say it was, you know, a sexual offense or something. If they can find some way it was related to alcohol or drugs, well, Mm -hmm. sometimes they're going to push that when really that's not, that's not the, the you know, it's a different kind of sickness. Well, you just look at the whole Me, Me Too movement. Uh, you know, even Harvey Weinstein, Anthony Weiner, all these guys. What if they just go to you rehab? Know, they go to rehab for alcohol. They, they they blame the alcohol, and then boom, 
rehab, you know? That's always Instead been like that. The yeah. inquirer, you know, has always been like, oh, so-and-so's in rehab. There, it was really because whatever the story was was about to come out, and it was something having nothing to do with any of that. But, I mean, AA has no way of filtering out or, or mm-hmm. exercising any sort of control over the right. situation. They depend a lot. It's like um, they depend a lot. I mean, completely on local groups. And so that's why it's one of the reasons if someone says, oh, I went to an AA meeting and it sucked, didn't work for me. I'm like, well, did you try a different one? You know, it's in that same way, each group. And so there's really, and that was part of what the 13th Step documentary is trying, sort of exposing that, you know, she goes, all of these. There's no protection. right, Right. And they won't even acknowledge it. I mean, even if they did like public service announcements or a pamphlet, like how to stay safe in AA, you know, and of course they're afraid of how it'll affect people, scare them away, but maybe it'd be better to just, you know, give people a heads up, like, listen, this, this is not like a super safe, regulated therapeutic environment. You know, you're going into a scenario where there's a lot of good people, but you know, you got to watch your back, especially with younger women. Uh, It's part of the reason they have like teen groups and things like that. You know, like I wouldn't feel comfortable sending my 17 year old daughter to NA, you know, a regular NA mm-hmm. meeting. I really wouldn't. Um, I would probably try and look for, you know, if I had to do that, um, you know, right. a teen group type of thing. So there's a lot of dangers well, and it's yeah. like, it's hard to call it out without scaring people away, you know, and that's sort of the problem. Well, I, and I think AA's a- fundamental failure to address this issue on any meaningful level uh, speaks volumes about the organization yeah. to, to be honest it reminds I mean, me of the catholic church not calling out priests sure it reminds me of the boy scouts pretending like it right it wasn't happening but, i mean it's I mean, endemic once once you got to a tipping point though both of those organizations that you mentioned were forced to confront um because mostly because of lawsuits and because of the threat of financial ruin and dissolute dissolution yeah so you know does that yeah, need to happen with to AA? so such a broad scale like if you even look at um, I'm, I'm pretty sure in that documentary they touched on, I think, uh, the, the Carla uh, Mendez Brada murder mm-hmm. and, um, the, you know, that she had met the man that ended up murdering her in, in AA. And this is, like, this is a whole other topic, right? But uh, specifics of that were basically she met him. Um, he wasn't there by court order, but... Are you talking they, about I, Carla? The, yeah, Carla. He actually was. He was. He was. Uh, Eric Earl was there. I he, thought he wasn't. He he was. I have the article. It uh, says the, he was not attending AA meetings voluntarily. A succession of judges and parole officers had ordered him to go as an alternative to jail. Yeah. Oh, okay. So. See, I thought the thing was that they ordered him to go to something. I didn't know if it was. Well, no. but okay. either way, that was still like. He, you know, he was obviously a, a not well man that probably his biggest problem was an alcoholism. Right. Um, but when her family, I mean, they tried to, to sue his sponsor, her sponsor, Alcoholics Anonymous, um, yeah. and unsuccessfully, but that's, you know, those things come up one case at a time. Right. And, you know, it's, it's unfortunate uh, that they're, I mean, it, and it's the only thing that keeps organizations like AA to be able to continue is um, having to distance themselves from, you know, from personal liability, but it doesn't help a family. (laughs) You know, it doesn't help a family to, 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 you know, not be able to be, even to affect some kind of change. Mm -hmm. Like if I were, you know, a family member, I can imagine 
at least wanted them to, uh, you know, admit that maybe there could be something that could be done in the future to, to add some protection. But, you know, I can't say that I would know what that is. Well, I, it's especially galling to me that, that AA does not take a more public-facing stance on this, considering that they advocated for being uh, the alternative to incarceration. I mean, the, at an organizational level, they approached the courts. It wasn't the other way around. Oh, really? So, right. so, so they had. <laughs> this is like a problem of their own making. So, I, 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 it strains my compassion level to see how they can step away from it and claim no responsibility when they were the ones that tried to get themselves put in this situation in the first place. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's a case of, you know, maybe it's a good time for them to set some ground rules for what is a sponsor. What do we accept as someone who we will allow to raise their hand and say, yeah, I'll be a a sponsor. You know, maybe that's an easy fix. Uh, It could be that if they did that, that's like a form of admission of wrongdoing, and maybe that's the problem. But I think that could go. Well, yeah, it puts certain people in the. I guess it would put them in. Like you could do that, and I know some groups that do. They have certain people they consider to be "quote unquote" qualified sponsors, Mm -hmm. and they're people that maybe attended workshops put on by their area or their group. And but if you do that then what you're doing is you're almost, even if you can't legally do it, you're almost certifying this person is safe. Mm, yeah. So, you know, there's always that double edge of, I wouldn't be the one, you know, I wouldn't want to be the one that's like, yeah, I vote this person is safe. And then they're not. Uh, it's such a hard, you know, it's such a hard place to be, but I, I do agree. I wish there was just a little bit better of some, you know, some kind of uh, assurance that there are certain people you maybe you can trust a little more than others. I just don't know what that would be. Yeah. And I think it would attract more people cause it would, it would like make people feel a little safer that there's, it's not just the inmates running the asylum. Most groups that I was in, the, the bottom line was you have to have a year. Um, and then you're taking someone's word, you know, that they showed up for a year and that yeah, they're sober. How, how, how do you know they have, um, really have a year? Yeah. Because I mean, this, this guy who killed this, this uh, Carlo, this Earl fellow, um, claimed that he had all kinds of time. And meanwhile, after every oh, meeting, yeah. he was going out and buying bottles of vodka and drinking like he was just a total sociopath. We don't want to throw the baby yeah. out with the bathwater, though. I well, mean, it depends on what it depends on how clean the baby is. I well, you know, like Aaron and I both have had great experiences. I know plenty of people. I know more people that had good experiences with sponsors than than didn't. You know, you're always going to hear, you know, but. You know, maybe it's just one of those things that like, you know, it's the elephant in the room of a family, you know, like if you have a family problem that no one wants to talk about, you know, the only way to really make it better or take something that's really could be great and super helpful and maybe even necessary and to make it a little safer and take a little responsibility for, you know, who's sort of, you know, leading your brand, you so to speak. Yeah, so why aren't you know. they doing it? Right. You know, I mean, the, the well, Aaron, you just sent me the safety card for AA groups, which is interesting. The GSO, I guess, put out what they call an optional safety statement available. That was hotly contested. Well, it's uh, so it's, it's so mealy mouth that like, I can. It's, it's, <laughs> it seems like something that was like well written it. in committee. Read it, Mike. What is it? It's pretty. It was. It was written in committee. There's nothing that isn't written in committee, and it's even really that long. pamphlet, the sponsorship pamphlet or the safety card, which can or cannot be. You can read it at the beginning of meetings. There was a particular part of it that was of particular interest to me when it came out, and it was the part where we had local groups that certain people would even commit crimes within the building. 
and they would, they would, you know, old timers would say, oh, traditions, we don't get involved. Well, we do when it involves an actual crime and that safety card, the one thing it did was encourage groups that no, if someone commits a crime, you call the cops. Right. It's not against like any that's tradition. You do. That's right. But uh, do you know, yeah, do you know how many, like there are so many people that will not acknowledge this piece of literature oh, yes. and they voted against it until they put in the ground you know mm-hmm. what i mean yeah i mean i, I wonder my, you know it always makes you wonder who those people you know like i wonder why you know smart recovery which is um it's another recovery group it's a little more they try and be more science-based um i think in that i wonder in those kinds of groups you that has to be a leader who's like like a facilitator who's um trained right. and certified by smart recovery mm-hmm. you know maybe that um, you know, the problem is, you know, AA isn't set up to do things like that. They're not supposed to, um, you know, it's part of the traditions. Um, I don't know if they can, they could do that, but maybe that's a safe alternative. They could do that. If they had a certified facilitator. I mean, the, 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 the program does not have to be suspended in amber the same way it was since 1932. Well, it, it is. Yeah. I mean, they won't I mean, it depends on who you ask. I mean, you can, you, you know, I... I mean, call me crazy, but I don't think that the final word on addiction was written in 1932 by a drunk stockbroker and his friend. Right. <laughs> and a hundred other. You know, I, I mean, no, is a- Smart Recovery a nonprofit? It could be why. It, I mean, I, I, don't, yeah. I don't know if they are or they aren't, but I wonder if that's part of why they're able to even, you know, is they have a certain financial interest in. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure how they're set up as, as an organization as compared to AA, but I imagine they're not running their entire organization based on a set of traditions. No. And it may be why they have a little more, um, yeah, or they, have taken a little more yeah. uh, approach to trading and being uh, personally liable for that. Yeah, it's it's an interesting thing, and it's one of those things that they couldn't, or didn't predict that it would ever grow to a point where this would be necessary. You know, I think in a lot of ways, kind of like this podcast, we never thought we'd grow to the point where we would actually have to watch what we're saying, (laughs) you know, but it's like when something grows kind of out of where you imagined it, it brings up all of these kind of issues that are hard to retroactively to fix. Um, but I feel like there's a lot to be, uh, saved and, you know, and it could really make it a better scenario. Really what we want to do is just, you know, make people aware, uh, you know, to, to be careful and proceed with caution, but proceed with, you know, enthusiasm too. You know, I don't ever want to, you know, knock the wind out of someone who's looking to go, go to AA or, or get into recovery, you know, and that's not my, uh, yeah, my and I never want to be part of, yeah, I never want to be part of an organization that I can't be critical right. of, and maybe, you know, how publicly or how would, you know, whatever is, is up for debate. But when it comes down to it, I know that it works for me. I know that it works for countless others. I also know that it could be made safer. You know, I, I believe that wholeheartedly that it could be made safer. And I feel some responsibility, even if it's just on a local level, yeah. to be part of that. And maybe that's something that we can be a part of. Um, we're going to wrap it up. I want to uh, thank Aaron. You want to thank Erin for coming on. For coming on. <laughs> she has a website, fallingphoenix.org. Is that what, did I get it right? 
fallingphoenix.com. Damn it. <laughs> fallingphoenix.com. <laughs> She's also, um, if you want to talk about this stuff and, and learn from, you know, Erin's experience, she's a moderator on the private Facebook group. It's getting very cool on there. People are starting to like, it is. people are you talking. Know? It's so exciting. We're not just talking to each other. I, know. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, sign up. And I'll put the safety card up there. I'll put Great idea. the pamphlet about sponsorship and some various other things on there. But yeah, let's talk about it. Awesome. Thank Great. you so much, Erin, for coming on again. Hopefully we'll have you on again in three more episodes. We've been sort of regular with it. We got screwed up this summer, but thank you again, Aaron. We love you and we will see you on the boards. Enjoy the rest of your lovely day. Bye. Bye. Cool. Okay. And we'll be right back after these words. And now we're back. And now we're back. That was so great. So happy to hear from Aaron again, especially because I was very insecure about today's show. Mm. Uh, I, I had done a whole outline about something else. And then it just sort of <laughs> didn't evolve that way. So we'll save that I mean, for next uh, week. I enjoyed it. I can sit here and trash AA Ugh, <laughs> no. for hours. And I'm defending AA. It turned out that I'm the defender, you know, because I know there's so much good that comes out of it. So many people get sober. You've been a little more jaded about 15 it. 15 out of 100 at least. Well, I think there's a lot of our <laughs> listeners out there that have had good experiences and if you're a monster out there listening and you have a good or bad experience with your oh sponsor boy. or AA, please go to our Facebook page and join the group. Just click on groups. Look for Recovery in the Middle Ages. It's a private group. You have to apply to get in and ask you a couple of questions. And we're all on there. They're on really easy basis. questions. Yeah. You want to talk? It's no heavy there. lifting. You know? Yeah. We're always there. Like, um, and uh, Through the night even. And, you know, if you're in England, Grant B, G Money Smooth is on there, and uh, Jeff D will make an appearance. Um, who did these awesome shirts for us? Um, so come, say hello, check it out. And with that, it's time for recovery in the news. Recovery in the news. You've been doing that now for, I don't know, six months or so. I nail it the same every time, I think. Every time, and every time I I crack up because it's very funny the way you you folks should see him do it. It's even better. We got to film it. We'll put it on our YouTube. Get us on YouTube. We need some subscribers. So that's recovering the news. Um, No, that's not. (laughs) We're not there yet. No, this is recovering recovering the news. Uh, So. I don't know how how many of you guys uh, are on the Facebook group, but if you are, you know that uh, Grant, uh, G Money Smooth, uh, has a new service out there where he aggregates all of the interesting stories about recovery and addiction that um, come across his radar in a week, and he puts them together in an email blast. Uh, I think he has a website too, right? Yes. Um, I'm going to drop a link in the show notes since I was not prepared to give the plug, even though I intended to do it. Do you have it? Uh, I don't have it, but we will post it and announce it next time. Okay. Um, uh, anyway, so, you know. It's a great resource. Every, every week I go through there, and, and usually I can find something uh, uh, appropriate for recovery in the news. 
uh, like this week, uh, there was a little note in there. It's a New York Post article that said, um, titled, Doc Gooden Wanted the Stuff That Killed Len Bias During the Depths of Drug Addiction. Uh, it's from the... Uh, the New York uh, Post. Reliable source, the New York Post. Yeah, wow. Uh, the Post tends to get it right on sports-related uh, stories. <laughs> That's true. That's about know. it, yeah. Um, and, I, and I picked this, this article this week because, um, you know, Daryl Strawberry and Doc Gooden were on the New York Mets during their um, storied 1986 season when they won the World Series against the Boston Red Sox. And that also happened to be right about the same time that I was starting to get into the depths of my crack addiction. Oh, parallel experience to Doc Gooden? In, in, well, it, with a lot less money. I, Doc wasn't going through couch cushions looking for quarters for, for small rocks, but um, or searching the carpet for hours on end. Um, but... You know, it's. I remember the sixth game of the World Series that year, where um, you know the the Mookie Wilson hit the blooper through um, Buckner's legs on at the first baseline, and and you know two outs, bottom of the ninth, and then the Mets scored. I think I was in a crib when that was. Going. Well, uh, I was at a bar called the Lantern <laughs> up up in the Fordham University area, and um, everybody in there it seemed like was uh, Irish. Uh, from Boston, family was from Boston, wow. so they were yelling all yep. night, pouring beer. I mean, you loser! You yeah. know? <laughs> and then that happened, and I just, you know, it was great. And I'm not even into sports, but I, I had a, I had a great moment then. Uh, so what we did was we grabbed a bottle of uh, bourbon, piled into a car, and drove to Shea Stadium to party in the parking lot <laughs> with the Mets fans that were that were leaving. <laughs> <Nice>. So <laughs> anyway, um, wow. So apparently, Doc Gooden and his buddy Daryl Strawberry got into all kinds of trouble. Oh yeah. Uh, and and I don't know if any of you remember the 80s, but in, in uh, I think in, in 19, well, most of you probably, because um, in June of 1986, there was a former University of Maryland basketball player, uh, Len Bias, who had just uh, signed a deal for the, the, the Celtics, who um, got some cocaine, did one line, and then dropped dead. Uh, and it was a huge story at the time. Is that possible? It is. There's a certain subset group of people who, um, if they they have a, it's a genetic predisposition or something, and the first time they do cocaine, it, wow. it gives them a heart arrhythmia and it kills them. Jesus. And that's what happened to this kid. And so he was sort of the poster child for the just say no. Um, Nancy Reagan. Nancy Reagan thing. Uh, but apparently... Uh, Doc Gooden had a different reaction to Len Bias's uh, untimely demise. Um, Where can I get that shit? Right. Uh, Doc Gooden's drug troubles with the Mets got so bad that he once asked his dealer for the stuff that killed former college basketball star Len Bias. Jesus. The 1985 Cy Young Award winner revealed that while detailing his drug use again in the upcoming ESPN 30 for 30 documentary about the 86 Mets, titled Once Upon a Time in Queens... He said, I remember when Len Bias died. You see that, and for like the first four or five hours, it hits you. Wow, that could have been me, Gooden says in the final episode of the four-part series. Uh, but then the sickest part about it is you go to your dealer and say, give me that Len Bias stuff. <laughs> that's sick, but that's where I was at at that time. I would say, hey, I want the Len Bias stuff, meaning in street terms, I want the strongest stuff you have. That's how crazy my brain was at the time. Can you imagine? Give me the Len Bias stuff. So you're going to die? Your family and friends are left, and my dad saying my son died of a drug overdose? Gooden then tears up following a lengthy pause before the camera fades out and the story turns back to the 86 season. Um, 
So Gooden and, and Strawberry were subjects of a 30 for 30 documentary in 2016 entitled Doc and Daryl, which chronicled their issues with substance abuse uh, on the 86 Mets. I mean, that whole team was was swimming in cocaine. Yeah, uh, yeah, they were bad. I, I mean, I've heard of that in heroin. Like, if someone dies of an overdose, like when I was in it and you'd hear about someone ODing, I would always hear another addict go, oh, we got to get that stuff. I know. You know, sorry, that was my phone. Um, That's cool. But I, I guess, um, you know, he and he and Strawberry had difficult childhoods uh, growing up. And, you know, there was definitely some trauma there. But, uh, you know, I just remember that that, that whole thing with the 86 uh, team. Uh, they were just well known for their carousing around Manhattan. Um, yeah, Lenny, I don't know how Lenny Dykstra per- was on that oh, team. Gary did. Carter, you know, all- Lenny Dykstra was on Dopey Man. Um, oh, was he? And he just sounded wasted. Yeah, he he was That's selling recent. used cars in Florida for yeah. a while or something. You know, That's where this can go, man. Like it doesn't matter how successful you are, you can spend it all and more. Yep, you can still destroy your life. I mean, when you think about the kind of career that that Doc Gooden and Daryl Strawberry could have had versus yeah. the ones that they had. And they, they had, you know, fairly decent careers, at least in the early days, but then they all, all ended up um, on the, they both ended up on the Yankees in the nineties, right? Yeah. I mean, think of how talented they must have really been to have been able to succeed to the level they did. I mean, like doing life while you're in active addiction, whether it's alcohol or, or um, booze uh, or drugs, it's like doing life with your hands tied behind your back. It's yeah. like trying to, you know, work basically with your feet to dry. Like it's very, very difficult. So the level that they must have been at to even at doing all of that shit and still, yeah, you know, so like speaks you, to the level of talent they had and uh, what they could have been. You know, you it's know? it sucks. It sucks. Who's that guy in um, on the Mets who? David Wells yeah. pitched that no hitter, yep. uh, or it was a perfect game, in fact. And then uh, they they interviewed him about it a couple of weeks later. He was like, "I was still drunk from the night before." Yeah, you know, yeah, it's uh, so, it's amazing. And then his career kind of never went anywhere yeah. after that either. And he was a mess. Um, yeah. So that was recovering the news. Yeah. All right. Recovery. Recovery. Um, now it's time for the week and weird week and weird pair of cattle mutilation cases reported in Oregon by who Tim Banal. Thank you, Tim, for providing hours of content. I'd like to get him on the show in the middle ages. I bet you we could get him on the show to do a very special week and weird (laughs) with Tim Banal. Ranchers in Oregon are once again being advised to keep a close eye on their cattle following a pair of peculiar incidents this past month wherein, wherein, (laughs) bulls were found mysteriously mutilated. I wonder if he had legal training before. He must have. He uses like aforementioned. uh, The two separate cases are the latest in what has been a series of strange slayings in the state over the last few years. According to a local media report, the most recent downed animal was discovered on August 14th, my birthday, Hey, on a ranch in Oregon's Wheeler County. Believed to have been killed around three days earlier, the Black Angus bull was missing its nose, tongue, reproductive organs, ear, eye, and left cheek, as well as part of its tail. Chillingly, those pieces of the poor creature were said to have been removed by way of curiously clean cuts. Since the bull had been found more than 24 hours after its demise, authorities were unable to perform a, necrop- a necropsy of the animal. I guess it's like an autopsy. Ho- hold on. Yep. The left cheek. Yeah. It's weird. Butt cheek or 
Face cheek. I think that's a face cheek. Just the um, left one. Just the left. It's a bizarre. Mm. Uh, which was valued at a whopping $4,500. Oh, it's an expensive bull. To potentially glean more information about how it was killed, ranch owner Tanner Brown, who counted the creature among his 600 cattle, was understandably... Here it is. Bewildered, bewildered by the eerie turn of events, musing that it's, it's kind so, of a strange thing. Kind of a strange thing. And he acknowledged that he was not alone in having experienced the unsettling phenomenon. Phenomenon. To that end, Brown's downed animal came on the heels of another incident in nearby Harney County, in which another bull was killed under similar circumstances in July. Hmm. Um, Did you know that Oregon has been particularly hard hit by the cattle mutilation phenomenon in recent years? Yeah. Yeah, five cases in Wheeler County and another five in Harney County. Do you, the more you dig into this uh, cattle mutilation, uh, the history of it and the reports and the scientific research on what happened to the animals. Scientific research. Yep. Uh-huh. Uh, doctors and scientists, you know, analyzing these animals that were mutilated. It is very interesting. I'll say that much. Hmm. And that was This Week in Weird. Well, that about... Does it for today? That's it. it. That's it. We're we had done. A, we had a great time. Thanks so much for listening. Visit us at middleagesrecovery.com, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Facebook, Instagram, Spotify, YouTube, and Twitter. So tweet us a twat. You twit. Support your favorite show. Drop a five star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever. And join the private Facebook group. If you go to middleagesrecovery.com and you click, if you're on your phone on the right, there's a little shopping cart button. You just kind of touch it and it brings up the page it's all working nicely buy the shirts people we need yeah, please. money we're going out of business here in a minute um, <laughs> so come to the private Facebook group we love meeting new monsters and chopping I, it up I just want to say there are some expenses inherent with running a podcast and we do it out of love and be, out of because we want to help people find and achieve lasting sobriety right yes but there are expenses so buying the shirt would be a helpful way yeah, or even a nice. sticker it makes know? me feel better too. Um, it makes me feel like people like me. And and tell all your I'm friends about us, please, because that's the best word of mouth is the best advertising. It sure is. Yeah. So if you get something out of this, please share it and help grow the RMA movement. And as we say, non profit yet perfectum. That's progress, not perfection. See you next time. Be good, guys. Be safe.